Hi, this is Giles. I appreciate you tuning in to this podcast and thank you for supporting our ministry campaigns. It's my prayer that these podcasts will help you to experience God's very best in every area of your life. Great. Well, guys, what if you remember the la- on the last call, um, we're going through this material um, in English. It's called uh, the worship service was wonderful. And as you remember, um, I've written this material to help you really um, have great services, church services, no matter what kind of service you're having. So whether it's a leadership meeting, a cell group meeting, uh, evangelistic crusade, a conference, or a Sunday service. But that said, for those of you who are leading churches, this is principally for the Sunday service, okay? You can take the principles and apply them to other types of meeting. But I say it's principally for the Sunday service because the Sunday service, if you're a church leader, is your most regular expression of your ministry. So that's where you are going to reveal yourself more than anywhere else. If you're speaking weekly to a group of people, okay, that's the one that you got to get right every week. Okay, it's not just a, uh, you know, a regular meeting, an event, uh, you know, an event which happens um, occasionally. This is something every week. And so on the one hand, it's kind of like the pressure's on because you've got to get it right every week. You can't just have a really great service, then a really terrible one. You know, people don't like that. They need you to, to put on a, a good meal, so to speak, every week. If they're coming to eat at your table and they have one bad experience, that could make them go and eat at somebody else's table. So you don't want to do that. You need to have a good standard of, of spiritual food that you're offering every week, okay? Um, Obviously, people are forgiving, but at the same time, you want to have consistency. But what I'm really saying is that the Sunday service of all the different things that you do in the ministry, perhaps this is the most important thing. I know you've got to organize things. I know you've got to disciple things. I know you've got to meet with leaders. I know you've got to do practical stuff. But this is the main expression of who you are as a man of God. Okay, And so, you know, you want to make sure that it's it's great in short. You've got, to, you've got to make sure. I mean, you've got to, if you're not hearing regularly back from your people that, wow, pastor, that was terrific. Wow, that was, you know, I felt the anointing of God. Then, you know, you're, you need to be making some changes. Because like I said at the beginning of this series, you have the recipe for success every time you meet. Because you've got the best message that a human being can hear. You've got the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you've got this what the Bible calls the communion of saints. So you've got a gathering of people with like heart, like nature and like mind. And so really it should be just every time you meet, there should be a manifestation of the life of God. So we've been looking at the different components of the meetings. We've looked at how you set up for a meeting, how you prepare for a meeting. Um, And we looked last time we were gathered about how you as a leader need to lead the meeting. And that's vital. You know, every institution rises and falls based on leadership. If the leader is strong, then the leader knows where he's going. Then that organization is going to go forward. And that you can apply, you know, whether it's for the military, for business, for school, for whatever, for church. This is a John Maxwell principle, if you want to learn more about leadership, 
that every organization rises and falls upon the leader. And somebody once said, what's it better to have? 12, 12 lions led by a, a, a lamb or 12 lambs led by a lion? You, you see what I mean? If you've got some strong leader at the front, then everybody else will get in action. Okay. Now this morning, though, I want to flip that around because last time we met, we spoke about how it's vital um, in a church service for the leader to lead. Okay. But the, there's kind of two sides to a meeting. There's the leaders and then there's the participators. So what I'm going to share with you today is really something that you need to hear what I'm saying, but then teach to your people too, okay? Because people who participate in a meeting can really change the atmosphere of the meeting, all right? It's not just about you. So you can be on fire and dynamic and with a great word and know where you want to go. But actually, if your participants, if the guests, if the members are half asleep, not interested, arrive late, etc., then it's not going to be the meeting that it should be and could be. And so you can actually teach your people how to participate in a meeting. And that's really vital because if your members do it right, then whoever else comes in will immediately jump into that flow. Now, I was up with Chad just recently in the United States, Titus and I and Danny were there traveling around and, you know, we visited a lot of churches and I met with a lot of pastors and I'm constantly, you know, wanting to learn myself. And one thing that I've seen a couple of churches that are really breaking through in the U.S., it's very interesting what they've done. They um, have taught their, their members how they should respond to their preaching. This is really, really interesting. So normally what you have on the platform is the preacher on the platform and then all the members sitting out in the congregation on chairs. But what they did is that they put a row of chairs behind them whilst they were preaching. And then these people became models on how to respond to the pastor when he's preaching. Now, these are very charismatic churches where the preachers really preach with a lot of fire. And so the guys up on the platform, when the preacher started preaching well, first of all, they started lifting their hands. Okay. Then they started saying amen. And when the preacher really hit Homer, you know, hit a, a big point, a kind of golden nugget of revelation. They stood up and shouted, hallelujah, like this. And so what they did by putting those people on the platform, they were teaching the people in the pew how to respond to great preaching. Okay. They did this purposefully. And then they put the people back in the congregation, you know, and on the following Sunday, that meant everybody did the same. Now you can imagine the dynamic then in that meeting. So when the pastor's preaching, people start lifting their hands, people start saying amen, people start hollowing hallelujah, people get up on their feet and celebrate when it's a really great point. Creates such a dynamic environment that when new people come in, they're just like, wow, this is electric. But what they don't know is that actually the pastors train people how to respond. Now, you may say that that's manipulation, but it's not. It's good sense. I have to teach my children to say please and thank you. Hello, because the natural tendency is for them just to take their food or take their sweet, whatever they get given and just, you know, say nothing. But that's not education. And that doesn't create a great atmosphere in your home. You have to teach children to do so much stuff. 
And so actually, you need to teach your people to say amen. You need to teach your people to raise their hands. You need to teach people to jump up and shout when it's great preaching. And in the same way, you can do that in worship. You need to teach people how to worship. Because some people sit there like lumps on a log. You know, there could be great worship, but they're just sitting down instead of standing up. Or they don't lift their hands. Or they don't sing, they just listen. You know, or they don't sing with a smile when they're talking about the goodness of God. I mean, I often find that. I sometimes, I joke a bit, but when people pray, we're talking to God. And yet some people reserve their ugliest face to talk to God. They put on that really ugly face. And they talk in tongues with a really ugly face. I say to them, listen, if I get home and my wife who loves me, really loves me, she starts putting on an ugly face and shouting at me with an, you know, like that. I would think this woman's got a problem. Charles, I got, you know, that. I would say, honey, calm down. I'm your husband. I love you. We love each other. I smile when you talk to me. Put your pretty face on. You know what I'm saying? And yet so many Christians don't know how to talk to God. They put on the wrong face. They get in the wrong mood. They shout at God or they whatever. You know, put on your ugly face if you're talking to the devil. Shout at him. You know what I'm saying? But when you're talking to God, put on a smile. He's your father who loves you. He's the bride, you know, bridegroom. You're the bride. Amen. Give him a kiss. He wants to kiss you. Amen. So, you, but you have to teach these things, partly because there's a really religious mentality in the church. When I see people singing, I'll be really honest. They put on an ugly face to sing as well. And they think it's really intense and really spiritual. One of the reasons I think that people enjoy my meetings is because I smile when I sing, when I, when I worship God. I do, because I'm worshiping the King of Kings who saved me. Hallelujah. And I notice that when I get the microphone, everybody relaxes. Just because we can relax. Finally, we can relax. Because before it was so intense. Lord have mercy. And I'm not saying that you can't be intense with the things of God. Of course, you should be passionate, but it's passionate with joy. You know what I mean? Like I say, if you're casting out a devil, put on your ugly voice, put on your ugly face, do whatever you need to do. You know, if you, but when you're talking to the father, no, my brother, you got it all wrong. So my point is this, we actually need to model that and teach that to our congregations. And you'll find that the atmosphere in your church will totally change if you help your people know how to respond, know how to participate in a church service. And I know you want that because you'll see if they're alive and if they're engaged and if they're drawing the anointing from you, that will create a dynamic, an atmosphere of faith in your services, which will then release the miracle power of God. And then suddenly the whole thing takes off. I mean, it just takes off. Miracle signs and wonders can happen. I mean, Titus and I just got back from a weekend. Of, we arrived back from the U.S., Chad knows, on, what was it, Thursday night. And we're on a, we have one night here at home, jumped on a plane the next morning to another city, you know, took a day's traveling there. But we had a meeting that started at four in the morning. They had me in at four in the morning. We finished after midnight. And it's just because the power of God became so manifest in the place. I mean, you know, people who couldn't walk running around the room, totally healed, set free. Hundreds, hundreds, not wanting to go home. The pastor kept trying to push people out of the building at half past midnight. You know, but nobody wanted to go home. Why? Because there's a manifestation of the glory of God. Why would you want to go home? You know, most people want to go home because the bed's comfortable or there's something to 
watch on TV or there's good food in the fridge. But I tell you, none of that compares when the manifestation of the glory of God is. That's where you want to be. That, that's where you feel most at home, most happy. But that's what we've got to get in our meetings. You know what I'm saying? I've been banging this drum for a while. So one of the key things is teaching your people how to participate. And I just want to touch on a few points here that love you to learn. And then you need to go and teach it to your people. Okay. In your discipleship groups, whatever, even on a Sunday. All right. So, and let me say this as well at the beginning of what I'm about to say, you know, I have participated in hundreds of services where I'm not the leader. I've been to conferences. I've been to crusades. I've been in church services. So I know what it is to be a participant. And I'm going to say, say, tell you something shocking now, that even as a participant, I can change the atmosphere of a meeting. Seriously. And I'll show you how in a moment. I'm not leading. I'm not invited to speak. I'm not there for nothing, just to receive. But my attitude and what I do as a participant, I can change the atmosphere of a meeting. I can, I can attract the anointing into that meeting that will help the leader, help the pastor, help the preacher, help the worship team to suddenly go to a higher dimension. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you to do that, okay? So anyhow, I put down a quick list of 10 points. Number one, you've got to teach your people to be punctual, to arrive on time or even early, okay? Arriving on time and sitting up front already creates an atmosphere of expectation, okay? There's no expectation in a service. It's jolly hard to get it going. You pastors know that. If nobody's in the room when, when it's 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock or whenever you start your meeting, that's pretty hard to start a great dynamic church service, okay? So you've got to tell your people, get here before the hour and get up front. That creates expectation, excitement. Some, some churches even leave the doors closed, okay, so that there's a, a queue, a line outside the church before the church service starts. Why? Because that creates expectation, creates a sense of, wow, something's happening on the inside. We need to get up front in the line. That's not a bad idea. I don't do that, but I've seen churches do that, and I think it's not a bad idea. Other churches have a countdown clock. That creates expectation, gets people there on time. You know, they put a clock on the screen, you know, from half an hour down to zero, and then they start on time, creating expectation. It helps people to be punctual, okay? And when you if you want to build a fire, guys, you have to start with a small group and get uh, uh, small bits of wood, you know, get that really hot, light the fire there, and then it will spread out. So you've got to make sure your leaders in particular get there and get up front, start the fire with them, because they tend to be the most receptive ones. And then anybody else who comes in, the other bits of wood, let's say, they get added to the fire, they'll catch fire much more quickly. All right. So I made a decision years ago. I'm not talking about being a leader. Now I'm talking about being a participant. If I'm invited to an event, I get there before it starts, okay? And I get up front. I'll tell you why I get up front for a number of reasons. But number one, I get distracted if I sit at the back. I receive, always receive much more when I get up front because I can just focus on what God wants to say to me, what God wants to do with me. I mean, so I get there early, all right? With some people, some members of the church, they, they time it perfectly to get there after the worship, just in time for the preaching. Have you seen that happen? Because they think the preaching is the main part. Now, let me say this again. This might shock you on two fronts. Actually, in some senses, the preaching is the main part. 
church survived a long time without worship. If you look at the apostolic church, there wasn't that much worship. Certainly didn't have, you know, an hour of worship like we had. Okay. So in a sense, it is the main part. Okay. All right. Because it's the preaching of the gospel that sets men free. However, here's the deal. Uh, most people hear the preaching, but they don't have hearts to receive it. Why? Because worship does something wonderful in the heart of the believer. Okay. Number one, it allows him to touch heaven. Okay. Literally to go to the throne of grace, to go to the Holy of Holies in his heart, to get into the spirit, we like to say. And so that prepares the atmosphere for the preaching. So if the, if the believer arrives and he's not in the spirit, he's not going to be able to receive from you. Okay. Remember the kingdom advances spirit to spirit, not head to head. Okay. So right now, for example, for the kingdom to advance through us on this Zoom call, my spirit has to touch your spirit. If your spirit's not activated, there will be no transfer of life between us. So if you're just here kind of looking around, I don't know, I'm just looking at my scenery here. I've got books on the shelf and a box over there, and a leather chair. And you're just thinking, oh, well, Pastor Charles got a nice leather chair. I wish I had one of those leather chairs. You know, well, yeah, I'm in. I wish you have a nice leather chair too, in Jesus' name. Receive a leather chair. Hallelujah. <laughs> but... You know, and let's be honest, we're kind of in the natural, aren't we? Rather than in the spiritual. I won't want you to have a leather chair. I need you to, to learn to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, because that seat is, being, is much superior to this leather chair. You get the point, I'm sure. Amen. So, so, you know, being in worship gets you into the spirit. And the second thing that being in worship does, you know what it does? It dethrones the ego decentralizes the ego most people are egocentric they're constantly thinking of me okay what worship does means it means that you acknowledge that there's someone higher than you you are worshiping you are bowing down you're lifting someone else up now the ego hates to do that because the ego wants to be lord of all manager of the universe you know high and exalted one that's what the ego is. It's the Lucifer spirit. Okay. Now, if, if your ego hasn't been dethroned, then you can't receive the favor and the grace of God because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So worship helps people to dethrone the ego, which means they're now in a place to receive the anointing of God, the grace of God, the favor of God. So lives are transformed, okay, through your preaching, yes, but the preaching only has effect for people whose ego has been dethroned, all right? And that's why worship is so important. We've got to break this mentality that God needs our worship. Mm -mm -mm -mm. God's very happy as he is, thank you very much. And he's got angels to worship anyhow. You know, I used to, I, I say something that's, again, slightly scandalous now, but I'm going to say it anyhow. But one of the most pressurized moments in my week Okay, always was Sunday morning getting to church on time, both as a pastor and as a participant, as a member, whether I'm visiting a church, okay, or whether I'm leading a church. Wow, that Sunday morning pressure because of wife and children, not just getting me ready, but getting the wife and children ready. Wow, wow, that's a time when, you know, 
uh, uh, things can flare up into arguments quickly with your spouse or with your kids. And suddenly you're shouting at one another and you're getting in the car and everybody's in a bad mood. And then you've forgotten something. And did, 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 did. Okay. So I made a decision. Now, again, I'm going to prophesy this into your life, but I made a decision a while ago that I will leave to church always at the same time when I'm, when I'm regularly leaving. You know, I, you know, I say to my family, look, daddy is leaving at that time. Okay. If you want to be with daddy, then that's when I leave. If you're not there, then daddy goes without you. And I even say that to my wife. I even say that to my wife. Seriously, I do. Because I've told my children, listen, you know, most of the time I'm dad to you. When I'm here at home, most of the time I'm dad. But actually, some of the time I'm Pastor Giles or Evangelist Giles or Prophet Giles, call me what you will. And in those moments, don't I won't treat you as my children. I'll treat you as my sheep. And in those times, you can't treat me as dad. You have to treat me as pastor. And so don't think you can kind of come up with a sob story or an excuse or whatever it is and pull on the heartstrings and that because I won't listen to you as that. I'll listen to you as pastor. I'll say, sorry, you missed the boat. You missed the car. Come next week. You understand? So you need to, you need to say that at home. I'm going to prophesy something different that really helped me. I'm going to prophesy this into your lives now. Uh, one thing that really helped me was having two cars, two cars. Now, some of you don't even have one car. So I'm prophesying your first car in Jesus name, but I'm also prophesying a car for your wife. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Because now I don't have any pressure on Sunday mornings. Because I say to Sylvie, look, I'm off, ciao, 10 past 10, whatever it is, you know, that's when I leave. If anybody wants to come with me, I'm going. But if not, see you there. So I don't, because I, I'm past Giles then, you know. So I relieve that pressure because I'm somebody who arrives on time and, you know, stokes the fire for others to come. Amen. Okay, second thing, teaching your people how to participate. Don't just come alone, bring a friend. Hello, that's something you need to remind them. People remember to bring their Bibles, people remember to bring their tithe, people remember to put on good clothes, but they forget the most important thing, bring a friend, bring a friend. And notice what I said, don't just invite a friend, bring a friend. It's interesting in the parable of the, the rich man who put on a banquet, he sent out his servant, okay? But his servant went out to invite people in, but then he also then compelled them. In other words, he brought them along. Okay, so invitation is one thing, bringing is another. You'll find Satan is a specialist at causing problems in the last minute for the friends you've invited. Oh, something happens at home, you know, a kid gets sick or the water doesn't work or whatever it is, the car doesn't start. So it's always better, especially on a first time for first time visitors, never invite them. Say, hey, I'll come over, let's have a coffee beforehand, and then we're going to go to church together. I'll bring you there, or let's go in convoy, or whatever it is. Bring a friend. Teach your people to do that. Okay. Now, there's also, in that, in this, on this topic, we often find that we have more people coming to um, small groups, cell groups, life groups, than actually come to Sunday services on Sunday mornings. That can often be the case. But even if you're doing a conference or a crusade, what I'm about to say, you can apply. Okay, When you're in those small group settings or when you're teaching your leaders of your life groups, tell them always to testify about how good the Sunday service is. You follow? Because you have people in, this, in, the, in the life group who don't come to Sunday service. 
because they've never really, and they've never really made that step. And some people are much more comfortable in a life group setting than they are in a Sunday service setting. So what your life group members always need to say in those meetings is, hey, Sunday morning is fantastic. You think this group is great? You should come to Sunday morning. You, you think that there's anointing here and lives are transformed here? You should come there. Wow. You think the preaching is great here? You should come there. Uh, you think that there are good people here? You should come and meet other people there. So always testify. Get your people to give testimony, not just about how Jesus changed their life, but how good church is. Are you hearing? That's the best place you can get people advertising your Sunday service because they've already got people coming to their cell groups. That connection's already made. Okay. And again, then they can bring their friends rather than just invite their friends. All right, going back to the service itself. Number three, uh, teach your people to participate enthusiastically in the worship. Okay, now I've already touched on that. I remember going to a service years ago in a church in London, and it was a kind of traditional church, but it was charismatic. And I just remember sitting there at the back, I've been taken there as a visitor. And a few rows in front of me, I saw this young lady and she was just with her hands raised, her eyes closed, just pouring herself out in worship to God. And I looked at that lady and wow, I just had such a desire to worship God as well. So what am I saying? You know, these things are contagious. When you see somebody else worshiping with all their heart, it just gets on you. It touches you. You think, wow, that's a beautiful thing to see somebody really worshiping God. And so you, you find yourself encouraged and inspired. And you'll find that people come into your worship services, you know, with all sorts of problems and stresses and frustrations and so forth. And if there's just the team on the stage doing the kind of professional bit, that's one thing. But to see somebody at your side or in front of you just responding with all their heart, Actually, that's much stronger testimony. That's a much stronger encouragement. Okay. You know, I've been in stadiums and seen people pouring, jumping up and down, you know, rejoicing over the Lord. And that has encouraged me. You know, that's encouraged me to do the same. And it's interesting. Like I say, I mean, in Psalm 103, you'll remember in the first couple of verses, David has to instruct his soul and body to worship God. Because there's a part of you that's naturally lazy and passive. He says these words, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So he's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. It's like his spirits talking to his mind and his body. Okay. So, you know, you've got to help people to worship. And one of the best ways you can help people to worship is getting, you know, being a model to them yourself. And as a pastor, as an evangelist, you know, often I have a team up on the platform. So I'm there on the front row. But I've noticed this. The moment I lift my hands, other people start lifting their hands. The moment I start dancing, other people start dancing. The moment I shout hallelujah, other people start shouting hallelujah. You know, kind of like I set the standard. I, I you know, I'm the because people look to you as a leader. So like I said, if you can get your lead, you do it and then get your leaders doing it, then suddenly the whole church gets contaminated with a, with a spirit to, of, of, of worship. 
Amen. And following on from that, number four, draw the anointing from the preacher who's preaching. Now, I've got a good friend here. Most of you know him, Pastor Luizio. And, you know, he said something and he continues to say it really quite often. He says two things. He says, I love to have Pastor Giles with me when I minister, either as a translator or even just on the front row. And I find that quite interesting, but I know what he means just by the anointing, because when he's preaching, I draw the anointing from him. I just engage with what he's having to say, what he's saying. Okay. So I'm on the front row and he's preaching, but he just likes to have me there because he knows that I'm with him, that I'm eating, I'm consuming what he's saying. And he knows, I mean, I was just up in the States and we did a conference in Southern Florida. I was translating him there. He, he, he actually postponed a meeting that he was going to preach at because I wasn't there because he didn't want anybody else to translate him because he knows that I'm going to catch his spirit, that I'm going to flow with him, that I'm going to draw from him and then give it out. See, he, he understands these things about the anointing being passed on to people. Preaching is much more than just words coming out of a preacher's mouth. It's, it's about life being transferred. You're hearing what I'm saying? And so there is a way that you can be around a preacher that will help him to preach. I went to a conference again years ago. Boy, I keep saying years ago. I must be getting older. Certainly I've been in the ministry quite some time. But I went to an anointing in a, in a church in London. And it was, it was a black African church. And um, I was sitting up on the front row with, with the pastors in that kind of area. And, and this church had invited various, various preachers to come along, quite well known in the kind of black African-American kind of community. And it was a great conference. But this one guy gets up to preach and he's a bishop. He's got a great church. He's got all the credentials. But I just noticed, because I'm a preacher, that he was struggling to preach that day. I don't know why. You know, sometimes we have those days. It just doesn't seem to flow. What we say is kind of coming out backwards. We're not kind of hitting the point one we want to get to. It can be a hundred reasons. And you understand that as being a preacher. There are days you get up and it just goes. Other days you get up and you kind of can't find your stride. And I noticed this because I know he's a man of God and I know he's anointed and I know he's got a big ministry. And so it was really quiet and he was kind of stumbling over his words. So what did I do? I started saying, amen, hallelujah, preach it, pastor. Whatever tiny thing he said, I just got with him. And then he looked at me because he could see I was with him and he started preaching to me. And so I gave him more amens and I started drawing the anointing. Okay. And so then he started preaching with more enthusiasm, got more focus, got more clarity in his mind. And suddenly people around me started saying amen. And he started connecting with them. I'm going to cut the story short here. But literally, that meeting turned out to be the best meeting in the conference. It just lit the place on fire, literally. But it could have crashed and burned. I mean, it could have gone nowhere. I could feel the pressure on the guy. He, you know, and I've been in that position. When you're preaching like that, you just want to sit down and get out of there. You just want to stop the service and, you know, and go home and lick your wounds and pretend it didn't happen. We've all been there. But if you've got somebody in the crowd who no matter what, who knows you're anointed, who respects your ministry, 
who just draws the anointing from you, who puts out those amens, it will help you as a preacher be able to, you know, get into the anointing quicker, to go further in your meetings. So you need to teach your people, okay, how to engage, how to draw from you. And, and you need to teach them, you know, draw the anointing from the, from the preacher. You know, I've even told my people, I'll tell you something again that's kind of shocking here. But having a bad preacher visit your church isn't always the end of the world. Seriously. Seriously. I've, 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 I've had people come preach for me and I've sat there thinking, ah, this isn't going very far, you know, even though you, you draw on them. But actually, I've learned to learn from whatever believer there is. There's always something God wants to teach me within their preaching. You're hearing what I'm saying? doesn't need to be the latest watchman knee or whatever with huge revelation. Even the simplest of brothers, you know, God can speak through. So you've got to be tuned in. You know, God never sends, you know, God, God sends people to you for a purpose. You've got to believe that your steps are ordered by the Lord. And even in the worst scenario, and you listen to everything that, that person's got to say, and you think there's nothing I've learned here. You know what? You have learned something. You've learned not what not to do. You have. You've learned what not to do, what not to say. You've learned what's wrong. So now you can apply better what's right. And also, if you as a pastor have somebody come into your pulpit who doesn't really, doesn't really do much for anyone, I tell you what, there's a good thing about that. Because now they'll appreciate you a lot more when you get up and preach. And they'll think, wow, I'm so glad I've got this pastor and I don't have that one. Hallelujah. I'm blessed and highly favored to have a pastor like mine or an evangelist like mine. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. Number five, teach your people to be friendly to those around you or to, around them when they come into church. Okay. Be friendly. You know, my aunt, I have an aunt in England. Sadly, she's just passed away, but she told me, this is going back some years, she told me that she participated in a traditional church in England for 17 years, and she never knew the name of one other person in that church, apart from the, the pastor and the, the janitor, I think, the guy who opened and closed the building. I thought, boy, what is going on in that church? Just, you know, nobody friendly. But I've noticed that a lot of believers come to church they don't even greet anyone. I mean, they might greet the person at the door, but they sit down next to somebody in a chair and they don't even say hello to the person whom they're rubbing shoulders with. Uh, they don't even greet them. Not a smile, not a good morning, not a hello, not a God bless you, not a, you know, God's going to bless you today, whatever it is, nothing. And that actually can, you know, with, when you have an environment like that, it's much more difficult for the anointing to flow. There's so much ice still in the room. So teach your people to be friendly. Whenever I go into a church service, you know, normally because I'm a leader now, I sit up front, but I always make a, part, uh, make a point of turning around and just greeting the people directly behind me. Three or four people directly behind. I shake their hands. I give them a wave. I say, God bless you. And that, you know, means that we can, as a, as a little group of people together in that particular part of the building, we can enjoy God together. We can worship together. We're, you know, we can, we can give it, you know, we can just 
relax in each other's company. Because if you're standing next to somebody, you don't really know who they are. You haven't said hello. It's difficult to relax and just be, you know, um, how can I say, just, yeah, just be able to dance and sing. Much easier to do that once you've said hello. So teach of people, you know, if you want to have lots of friends, be friendly. It's a kind of principle, isn't that right? Be friendly, okay? And, and, and then people around you become friendly. And that creates an atmosphere that a church service can really, can really flow in. Amen? Okay, teach them to, be, to give generously. Think with me here. Now, giving, uh, I mean, there's so many things about giving, about giving offerings, giving tithes and things. Um, but just think on a practical level before we get into the spiritual stuff. You know, you can participate in a church service and there can be wonderful worship, wonderful preaching, you know, just wonderful fellowship. And the church service is wonderful. The only thing is the offering was terrible. Okay. And so everybody enjoyed apart from one person who the pastor, because the pastor will find out through the treasurer how much the offering was at the end. So everybody got blessed, but it's the pastor who wasn't. Why? Because he's the one who's got to go and pay the bills. He's the one who's got the financial pressure of the church on him. He's the one who's got to pay the electricity and pay the rent or pay the mortgage and pay this and pay that. And so it was a wonderful church service for everybody else, but not for him. Because, you know, he's got all that pressure on him. And so you have to teach your people to give generously. Teach your people that this is their house. You're hearing what I'm saying? That you can, you've got to get all the components of the worship service in place to make it a wonderful worship service. Not just the worship, not just the preaching. But from their point of view, what they do will make it a wonderful worship service. So it will be a wonderful worship service in the pastor's mind if there's more than enough offering to pay the bills and some more so that all the vision of the church and you know can be fulfilled in the future are you hearing what i'm saying i'm sure your people will understand that okay but talking spiritually now you know giving really is the thing that most shows where our heart is at jesus said in matthew 6 21 for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and think with me, guys, okay? Think with me. Why did God pour out his spirit in the upper room and not in the temple? Why did he pour it out upon the, the disciples of Christ and not upon the, the priests in the temple? The simple answer is because of a difference in heart, okay? Because of a difference in heart. The temple was a much more beautiful place. The priests were dressed much more nobly, regally. Okay, the upper room was a simple place, most likely. Fishermen and, and prostitutes don't dress like priests, you can be sure. Okay, but God doesn't look at the outward appearance, He looks at the heart. Okay, so He poured out His Spirit upon the disciples rather than the priests because of the difference in heart. Okay, now you can say, oh, well, that talks about thirstiness for God and all this sort of stuff. Yes, yes, yes. But what does the, the one thing that reveals the heart more than anything else is finances. What you do with your money uh, shows where your heart is at. So what am I saying here? If you want to move of God in your church, then actually the main key is the offering. 
because that's the thing that shows the heart of the people. And that's the thing that the spirit of God responds to. When people are givers, it, gives, it creates an environment for the spirit of God to come down. You know, I've been teaching, we'll do this maybe in another time, but I'm doing a whole series of teachings on the anointing at the moment. But I talk about the, the Holy Spirit. One of the symbols of the spirit is as of a dove. And doves descend in certain environments, but, they, but they're very sensitive creatures. So unless they feel comfortable, unless they feel welcome, unless they feel secure, they don't descend. They fly off. Dove is like that. And the Holy Spirit is like a dove. So he descends into environments where he feels welcome, okay, where he feels comfortable. And so that's all a question of heart. When people have shown their love for God through their offering, that, is the, that creates an environment for the spirit of God to come down. So you can tell your people this. You can say, you want a move of God? You want a revival? You want to see signs and wonders? Then let's create the right environment. Let's show our heart to the Lord by giving generously to him right now. Do you follow? And that will then create the environment for a wonderful or a wonder-filled uh, worship service. Amen. Hallelujah. Number seven, be humble, be humble, be humble. Teach your people to be humble. And I say that because when people come to the church service, you know, we have this whole deal of, ah, well, I want to sit on that row, or I want to sit on the corridor or on the aisle, or I want to sit, you know, on the front because I'm more spiritual than that person there. Or, um, you know, and they get upset if somebody sat in their seat, or if that place isn't available, or if, you know, somebody, a first timers come in, like I say, sat in their holy spot where they normally sit. This, it's incredible how much, how much pride is involved in this thing of where people sit in the service. You can, you can teach them this. You have to teach them this. Other people actually get offended if the pastor or preacher doesn't mention them in their, ser in their sermon. Seriously. You know, oh, he mentioned Brother Joe, but he didn't mention me. And they go, they go home all offended. But I'm more spiritual. I'm more faithful. I'm more this. And Brother Joe, you know, he's a mess. And yet the pastor keeps speaking about him and never mentioned me in his sermon. Wow. I have to be really careful about these things, guys. Because, you know, like I say, where there's pride, the Spirit of God can't manifest. So we have to be humble. Hallelujah. You know, again, I'm a leader in the church. Sometimes I go to churches and I'm the guest speaker and there's nowhere for me to sit on you know i'm like okay so what do i do i just go and sit in the congregation i have no problem with that now i used to have a problem with that i mean in some senses they need to learn to honor the minister they do i get that and they'll be blessed by honor i mean titus and i went to a church recently and you know they put us in a third-rate hotel there was nothing to eat you know there was you know just all this kind of stuff and you just kind of think boy they could do better at kind of honoring the visiting preacher here. Um, but, you know, in the end, you have to learn to be content. That's a sign of spirituality. You learn to be content no matter the circumstances or the conditions. Um, I mean, I tell another funny story about how I went to preach in a church in Santos down in the south of Brazil. And they didn't really know me. I'd been indicated and I recommended to them. But on the first night, I was introduced as Brother Giles. 
And um, we had a great move of God in the service. And, and, and afterwards, they planned to take me to a pizzeria, which and I like pizza. And, you know, not that much, but I do. I, I like pizza. Um, but because of the move of God on the second night, I was introduced as uh, evangelist Giles Stevens from England. So I thought, boy, that's a promotion better than Brother Giles. And that night they took me to an Italian restaurant. So I thought, ooh, that's good. And then the third night, we had a move of God the second night, even stronger, more people got saved. The third night, I was like international evangelist, you know, who preaches across the nations. Prophet and evangelist Giles Stevens is here. And I thought, wow. I thought, I thought to myself, and that night we went to a, a Brazilian steakhouse. <laughs> and I thought to myself, boy, if I stay here four nights, I'll be intergalactic apostle. <laughs> But I only stayed three nights. But interestingly, I caught a flight on the Sunday morning back to Goiania, where I lived at the time. And my network of cell groups, we were ushers that day. And ushers in our churches really means, you know, you look after the car park, you look after the seating, you know, the offering, the communion. But also you just, you know, you give out, you give out, you know, welcome magazines. And anyhow, I'm standing at one of the doors, kind of overseeing my team. And this lady comes up and says, hey, you, she calls me you, you know, not pastor or anything, just you. Um, where's, where's the restroom? Where's the bath, um, bathroom? Where's the loo? And so I say, oh, it's down the corridor, second right, go there. And so, you know, fine. And then somebody else comes out, a young guy. Oi, mate, he says, mate. <laughs> well, not pastor again, not evangelist, certainly not apostle. Hey, mate. I'm bursting. Where's, where's the toilet? So I said, oh, down the corridor. Blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, to cut the story short, three people came to me in the space of about 10 minutes asking for the bathroom. And, and, you know, and one of them I had to lead down to the bathroom. And as I'm walking back, I'm kind of thinking, last night I was international evangelist. But this morning I'm bathroom attendant. You know, <laughs> And my ego got really offended. It really did. I was kind of thinking to myself, can't they see the glory of God on me? Don't they know that last night I was healing the sick and leading multitudes to Christ? Now all they can see me as is a bathroom attendant, you know. And I just had this moment of just my ego really getting offended. And so I, so I said to the Lord, oh, help me, Lord. Help me just be humble here. And the Lord spoke to me. He really spoke to me when he said, son, if you can rejoice as much when you're a bathroom attendant as you do as when you're an international evangelist, then I can really take you places in life because you're humble. You're humble. Whether you are base or abound, whether you're lifted up or pushed down, whether people recognize you or despise you, you can just rejoice in me at all times. I can really take you places. Hallelujah. So I've always guarded that in my, in, my, in my life. You know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you go to a shop and somebody thinks you work there and you actually don't work there. You're just trying to buy something too. It's kind of, no, no, I don't work here. Why are you talking to me? And you can get really offended by that. But don't be offended. You know, just, just keep your heart. If people sat, sit in your seat, go sit somewhere else. Be chill. The pastor doesn't mention you all year in his sermon. Don't worry. That's a good test for you to pass. Teach your people this to be humble. Because again, where there's humility, okay, 
then the power of God can manifest. All right, quickly. Number eight, teach your people to throw out condemnation. Let me say another thing that will scandalize you. Wow, I'm full of it today. Sin doesn't stop the move of God. Hello. Sin does not stop the move of God. Most preachers preach that sin in the camp stops the move of God. Sin doesn't stop the move of God because the scripture is very clear that where sin abounded, so much more abounded the grace of God. So then what does stop the move of God? Condemnation. Condemnation in the camp stops the move of God. If your people are there feeling terrible about themselves because, you know, they messed up during the week, because they watched the wrong movie on Saturday night before the service, or because they, you know, made some pretty poor decisions, then that's the thing that will stop them receiving from God or being used by God. Seriously, condemnation robs them. Because what, how does condemnation work? Is you, condemnation works based on the law. You know, oh, I can be blessed because I did this right. But I can't be blessed today because I did that wrong. It's all law. It's all law. So if somebody is under the law, then they'll stop the move of God. But if somebody is under grace and they think like this, yeah, I messed up this week, but God loves me. He's rich in mercy. His blood already paid the price, left me in credit. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You're my advocate you're my savior, then that's how they can experience the move of God and be further blessed. You know, when you mess up is the best time to understand the grace of God, not when you've done right. When you've done wrong, you really understand the grace of God. So there's hope for the sinner. It's good news for for the one who's messed up, not bad news. And so you have to, right, I'm going to talk to you as pastors and leaders now. You have to constantly remind your people uh, about that. And at the beginning of church services, too, because if you find that the worship's not going anywhere, I'll tell you why it is, because of condemnation. People aren't joining you in worship because they're feeling bad about themselves. Feel like, how can I worship a holy God? How can I praise his name? I let him down this week. So you have to stop the worship service and say, guys, I want to remind you about the cross. I want to remind you about the blood. I want to remind you, you've got an advocate. I've got to remind you that nothing you've done, no matter how many times, no matter how terrible, is too big for, for God's grace. God's already forgiven it. In the eyes of God, he doesn't see it anymore. Let's praise him together now. Hallelujah. And you'll find the thing just takes off. Uh, but also, you've got to, you know, you, you've got to re- remind yourself, if you're participating in a meeting, Don't sit there saying, oh, God, you know, I'm here, but I don't know if God can bless me today because of the." No, no, no. I'm here. I'm constantly under a fountain of God's grace. I'm under a waterfall of blood. Hallelujah. That if I, as soon as I mess up, it's taken away in the eyes of God because the waterfall of blood is just over me constantly. You hearing me? That's how grace works. Okay. Now I say this because not just for you as pastors or, or even participants, But, you know, often we have young people lead our worship, young people, single people. And let's just get honest here. Young people and single people, especially young men, can have, you know, they can have really wayward lives. Now, I'm not suggesting that. I'm not, you know, condoning that. I I wish that you'd be holy as he is holy, holiness unto the Lord. 
Hallelujah. We should work out our salvation, you know, and we should have the fear of God in these areas, etc. Because sin does no one any good. Amen. But at the same time, they do mess up. And you could have had you could have on the platform a drummer or a bassist or a guitarist or even a singer who on Saturday night masturbated. Hello. And he's there on Sunday morning leading worship. Now, let me scandalize you. Is it his sin that will stop the move of God on the Sunday morning service? No, it's not actually. It's his condemnation that will stop the move of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because even if he's done that on a Saturday night, guess what? God's grace is bigger than that. And it's actually a revelation of God's grace that will break him out of the cycle of masturbation. Boy, I don't know if we can publish this, this teaching today. <laughs> but it's true. How do you break the addiction to masturbation? Through teaching grace. That even if he does it, he's forgiven. And then the power of sin that awakens the flesh. And the law awakens the flesh to want to do it. Are you hearing me? That's broken off him. And so his flesh now doesn't, you know, it doesn't manifest in the same way. The addiction's broken. I'm not saying it's necessarily immediate, but you'll find that every time he remembers that he's forgiven when he sins, then the, the strength of sin is broken off of him. And so he then gets freed from that addiction. Anyhow, that's a deeper teaching in its own right. But what I'm trying to say is condemnation is the thing that will stop you from having a great worship service, both you as a pastor, but also your worship team, whoever's on the platform, but also your participants. So you have to nail that. If there's no flow of the spirit, quickly deal with that. Yeah. Hallelujah. Let everybody know that we're not on the platform because we're perfect. We're on the platform because we're pardoned. That's the deal. Okay, and your people aren't coming to church because they're perfect. They're coming, you know, I like to say this, the church isn't the church of the perfect. The church is the church of the pardoned. That's the glory of God. That's why we're gathered here today, because we found pardon. Okay, we're moving towards perfection. We're never going to get there. You know, like Paul, even at the end of our lives, we're going to be looking through a glass, a, a glass darkly. In other words, we're, you know, in, in terms of our own perfection, okay, we're still a work in progress. But in the eyes of God, we're already perfect. It's one thing the way you look at yourself. It's another thing the way God looks at you. It's one thing the way people look at you. It's another thing the way that God looks at, looks at you. God looks at you already as righteous, the righteousness of God in Christ, okay? People won't look at you like that. They'll always see your faults and failings, which is why, which is why James, in the book of James, goes to the extent of saying that faith without works is dead. It shows that in the eyes of the world, listen to me, this is really subtle, but in the eyes of God, it's faith alone that makes you perfect. But in the eyes of the world, it's faith plus works that makes you perfect. Because the world can only see works, can't see faith. So people judge you according to your works, not according to your faith. Learn that, okay? Learn that. And be at peace with that. Amen. Okay, let's go quickly to number nine. Teach your people to offer to help. All right. Not just to come to receive in church services, but to come and help. Scripture says in Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, 
did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant. Let this mind be in you. So we have to have the mind of Christ. You need to teach your people have the mind of Christ. Don't just come to church to be honored and blessed. The mind, what Jesus did is, yeah, he's God, okay? But, and he's, you know, equal to God, but he made himself of no reputation, became a servant. So, amen, it's great when people kind of bless you and honor you and all this sort of stuff, but we need to have a different attitude. We need to come to church to serve, to have no reputation. But to teach your people this, okay? So what does that really look like? Well, yeah, join, be, you know, offer to be part of the ushers. That's a great thing. One of the bigger areas, I think, is actually uh, offering yourself to be part of the kids' program, you know, to, to do that kind of thing on a Sunday. The things that the world despises, God really um, appreciates, let's say. And that's why in Matthew 18 and 4, Jesus tells his disciples of the glory of ministering to children. He says, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Wow. So people, people tend to win accolades on earth, okay, um, according to human standards. But to receive that, the, the applause of heaven, the accolades of heaven, actually, you've got to do the things that the world despises. And think about it with me quickly here. Most ministers, most believers, they want to speak to the adults. Okay. They want to minister to the adults. Why? Because the adults, you know, they appreciate you. They applaud. They say amen. If you minister to kids, you don't often get applause. You normally pour yourself out. They don't even stop and say thank you half the time. They just run off. They certainly don't give you an offering. You know, I found that a lot of ministers only want to preach to adults because they think, oh, I might get a good offering. Somebody might give me a golden handshake at the end. Hello. But actually, God's saying, no, minister to the kids, and then you're receiving me. You'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. Again, Matthew 18 and 10 says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father is in heaven. So most people despise these little ones. Jesus says, take heed that you don't. In other words, what's the opposite to despise? I'm trying to find the English word here. Appreciate, honor, uh, invest into, you know, make it the, 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 the highest call in your life. Okay. Ministering to little ones. I'm saying this to you guys because you need to teach your people this. Their, their reward will be great in heaven if they offer themselves to do things that are despised, such as be part of the kids' ministry team, you know, look after the crash, whatever it is, all those things. You get much more reward out of doing that than just sitting on a pew all the time, receiving and saying amen. Amen. And the last thing, it's a simple thing, obviously, and that is get your people to pray for the Sunday service. Hallelujah. Pray. Don't just turn up. Pray for the Sunday service. Pray for the anointing upon the pastor, upon the leader, upon the service. You know, trying, you know, one thing that uh, Pastor Luizio does here in Brazil is he asks people, look, when it's lunchtime, just remember me in your prayer at lunchtime, just before you sit down to lunch. Do that with your people. 
because then they'll always remember, ah, oh, pray for the pastor, pray for the service this weekend. So it's not something, you know, not too heavy a burden, but then at least you've got lots of people praying regularly for you and for the Sunday service. And I think it's really important that, you know, that people kind of shift mentality. The church isn't the pastor's church. It's not the pastor's service. It's their church. It's their service. They're part of the family. I've had to teach my children that, that when people come over to visit us here at the house and the house is a mess, you know, there's trash on the ground. I say, guys, that's not just a bad reflection of me, but it's a bad reflection of you. You know, we're one family, okay? So if you see something that's out of line, don't wait for me to come and pick it up or for me to tell you, could you clean up the TV room or your bedroom or put the cushions on the sofa? You know, you do that because this is your house just as much as it's my house, okay? So your people need to, need to understand that. And that will set the environment, as I say, when people are praying, when people take pride that this is come to my church, it's going to be great, you know. And so then they have a different way of, of thinking about church, praying for the church. They want their, their church service to be wonderful for their sake and for other people's sake. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have never personally accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins and ask you to wash me clean with your blood. Give me a new heart and a fresh start. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Now that you have prayed that prayer, we believe that you are saved. Get in touch with us at thegreatmission.org to receive your free digital booklet Welcome to the family. The ministry of Giles Stevens is maintained by the prayers and financial support of monthly partners. More and more people are looking up rather than around for answers to life and are open to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever the ministry is holding campaigns, thousands are responding and seeing real life transformation. Would you consider joining us taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations by a monthly contribution, no matter the amount? Friends, together we can fill God's throne room with people from every tribe, nation and tongue. That's the vision we have for all of our partners, that in the future when we stand before the Lord, we will be able to celebrate together when we see people from all nations coming in as a result of your support. So if you'd like to become a partner of the ministry, please visit us at www.thegreatmission.org. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to subscribe and to share this podcast with a friend so that God's kingdom can keep growing in you and through you. God bless you.